Hey, good morning. My name is Jerry, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm really excited to be here with you guys today because I've got some really good news to share with you. In fact, it's better than good news. I'm going to say it's great news. And I've been wanting to share it with somebody, and I thought I'm going to be with a bunch of friends on Sunday morning. So this is the perfect opportunity to share it. And I'm going to warn you when I share this with you, you're going to be really excited for me and my family and a little jealous, okay? Because just a few days ago, I got this text message. It's from a lady named Patricia Wiggins, and it says, you have been awarded $7.8 million cash from Renzo Foundation, and then they need a bunch of details, right? Blah, 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 blah. $7.8 million, you guys. I just hit, amen. Yes, can I get an amen? I just hit the jackpot, and I can see the look on your face. You're a little jealous, but you're thinking, okay, Jerry, this is really important. Who's Patricia Wiggins, and what is the Renzo Foundation? You guys, I don't know. I don't care. It's $7.8 million, right? I'm not, I don't want to be rude and start asking a bunch of questions. I just want them to give me the money, and then, then I'll ask questions. Now, we've been in this series called Here to There, where we've been talking about how God wants to help us from where we're at to go to where he wants us to be in terms of generosity. And I don't know about you, but if someone were to give you a few million dollars, wouldn't that help propel you from where you are to where you would want to be? I mean, I would love to believe that with a few million dollars, I'm going to be a lot more generous. But what would you do with that kind of money? $7.8 million. And I know what you're thinking, don't worry about the taxes. What would you do with that kind of money, right? I think some of us would be tempted to sell our house and get a bigger house. I've thought about that. I would certainly sell my minivan and get a cooler, faster something that's not a minivan, right? Maybe some of you, depending on where you're at in your career, you would say, that's it, I'm done, I'm retiring. Or some of us might quit our jobs and go do something that we really, really, really wanna do. But no matter what we would do, we'd all be tempted to do something with that money that's gonna change the trajectory of our lives. We'd go from worrying about not having enough money to worrying about what am I gonna do with all this money? And then think about this. What would that kind of money do for your social status? Because the more money you have, the more stuff you can buy, and the more stuff you can buy, the more friends you have, and with that just comes power, prestige, and influence. I mean, isn't that how it works? The more stuff you have, the more people like you, the more people like you, the higher you are on the social ladder, and life is just good. That's the American dream, because everyone knows the more stuff and the more friends and the more power you have, the easier life gets quicker, right? Has anyone ever been tempted to buy into that lie, or is it just me? It's so easy to think that that's true. And if you've ever been tempted, you're not alone because today we're gonna to look at the life of a man who bought into that lie. And in terms of worldly wealth, this guy had everything that you and I could imagine. In fact, if we were to meet him, we would say, I just can't imagine that this guy doesn't have everything he already needs. But here's the thing, in spite of all of his wealth, in spite of all the stuff that he had deep down, he realized that there was something missing and he was desperate for it and he knew he couldn't buy it with money. He couldn't earn it with social status. And for him, this guy, the problem was money was such a huge barrier for him. He had all that he could want, but he wasn't willing to let go of it. And there was this thing that he wanted. He didn't know how to get it. He had lived his life this way for so long that he just didn't know what to do. And he was unfulfilled. He didn't feel appreciated. And as we're gonna see, he was desperate and he was lonely. And he got to a point where he thought, I'm gonna have to take a risk. I'm gonna have to go out on a limb to make a change. 
if anything in my life is ever going to get better. And I just want you to think, have you ever been there before? Have you ever found yourself in a spot where you desperately wanna change something in your life? You're just dissatisfied with the way life is going. You're disappointed with the relationship or with your marriage. You're fed up with your job. You're ready to walk away from school. You can't figure out why any of it matters. And there's no peace. There's no hope. And you just feel lost. And you're desperate, desperate for a change. I want you to think about what is the thing that you want to change? And then here's a question that I want you to wrestle with. And I want you to be honest about it. What risk would you be willing to take in order to bring about that change? Would you be willing to go way out on a limb if that's what it was gonna take for things in your life to be drastically different in good ways? Well, this man that we're gonna look at today found himself in that spot. And his story is pretty familiar to us. If you've been around church, as soon as you hear his name, there's gonna be a song in your head that triggers. You're gonna know it right away. But this guy find, found himself in this spot, desperate, lost, and alone, not knowing what to do, and out on a limb looking for a change. If you want to follow along with his story, it's found in the chapter 19 of Luke's gospel in the New Testament. In the Bible's around the room, that's on page 732. I was tempted to read the whole story for you, but the story is so familiar to some of us that have been around for a while that I'm just going to break it down verse by verse by verse. And whether this story's brand new for you, or you, you're hearing it for the 10 millionth time, I want you to know God's put some details in here for us that are really important for us to pay attention to because there's things in here that we can use and apply to change our lives. So Luke 19.1 starts off like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. So we see Jesus. He's pretty important, right? He's passing through this city of Jericho. Now, right away, if you're like me and your geography of Israel isn't very good, you're thinking, I don't know where we're at, Jerry. So we've got this map, and I want you to see, you'll see Jer Jericho and Jerusalem down there in the lower left-hand left -hand corner, your left-hand corner. They're separated by about 15 miles. And here's why this is important. Jesus, if you keep reading through Luke 19, Jesus was passing through Jericho. Later, we find he was going to Jerusalem. There was a main road that connected these two cities. And just so you know, 15 miles is from where we're standing right now. If you wanted to go to Lucas Oil Stadium, that's 15 miles. So that's about how far you would have to travel. But there's something else that you need to know about Jerusalem and Jericho that separated them. Jerusalem sits at 2,300 feet above sea level, and Jericho sits at 800 feet below sea level. That's a difference of 3,100 feet. That's a half mile drop in elevation. And here's why that is so important to this story because it could be nasty and hot in Jerusalem and you could hop on your donkey or you could take a ride and walk 15 miles and you're in the nicest climate in all of Israel and Jericho. It was a very desirable place to live. In fact, it was so desirable that Herod the Great decided that he was gonna build three of his palaces in Jericho. So it was beautiful, comfortable climate. It was like a, uh, an oasis in the middle of the desert. There was natural springs. They had an irrigation system. There was vegetation that flourished. I mean, this is a place you would want to hang out. And if you could afford it, this would be a place that you would want to live. But there's something else that you need to know about the city of Jericho that's really important to this story. It was strategically located as a trade route for the region, which meant that it was a wealthy city. There was lots of wealth in the city. And if you wanted to run a taxation business, Jericho would be the place that you would want to set up shop. 
great place to live, great place to hang out, and it was a great place to make some money. And that detail has everything to do with the guy that we're going to meet today. So look at verses one and two. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. So right away, Luke introduces us to this man named Zacchaeus, and he very quickly tells us that he was a tax collector. Now, if you're not familiar with what a tax collector would do, they were like the IRS. They would come and take your money. But in the New Testament, it's really interesting to note that in in Israel, tax collectors were always Jewish, and they would work for the Roman Empire. So that meant, let's pretend that we were all Jewish, and I'm a tax collector. I work for the man. And it's my job to take all of your money, but I'm gonna charge you more than I need to charge so I can scrape off the top for myself. So as you could imagine, tax collectors were hated. And if you read throughout the New Testament, you find when people are talking about people they don't like, they talk about tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors had their own bucket of sinfulness. So they were hated by all the people. But Luke gives us a really interesting note about Zacchaeus that lets us know that he was a little hated, more more hated than everybody else. It says he was the chief tax collector. Now there's lots of tax collectors mentioned throughout the New Testament, but this is the only time that we find a chief tax collector. He was the CEO. He was sitting at the top of the pyramid. All his minions would overcharge and take off the top for themselves. And then he would take off the charge off the top from him. So he was getting really, really wealthy off the people. In fact, look at how Luke ends verse two. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Now, if you were a first century Jew and you read that, you would laugh. And you'd say, no kidding, Sherlock, of course, of course he was wealthy. That's what they did. They would take money from all the people so that they could have their wealth. But for some reason, Luke wants to point this out, maybe just to be sarcastic, to get a a laugh from his readers. But it would have been known that Zacchaeus would have been hated. He would have been despised. He would have been one of the most hated people on the planet by his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters. But look at verse three. It says, he, Zacchaeus, wanted to see who Jesus was. And here's why. Apparently, word had gotten out in the city that Jesus was in town. And at this point in Jesus's life, he was three and a half years into his ministry and he had rock star status. Everywhere he went, there were crowds of hundreds, if not thousands of people that would line the streets and would follow him everywhere he went. And so when Zacchaeus hears about this, he immediately thinks, I wanna see this guy. I've heard a lot about this man. And so he wants to run out and see what all the hubbub is about. But Luke tells us there's one really big problem that Zacchaeus has. Look at the end of verse three. He was short and he could not see over the crowd. He had a big problem. He was a wee little man, right? And there's that song in your head that triggers that you learned so many years ago. Now, this tends to be the part of Zacchaeus' story that we're all familiar with. He was short. He was vertically challenged. But here's what's interesting. Pastor and biblical scholar Brad Gray points out that if you were to read verse 3 in the Greek, it doesn't necessarily say he was short. It says that he is short of the Greek word halikia. And this is a Greek word that means stature. And stature has three different facets, age, height, and social status. And so it's totally possible that he really was a wee little man. But I think if you look at the rest of the details of the story, I think Luke was making a point about something else going on in Zacchaeus's life, something that he wants us to be aware of. And so let's just think through this. 
age, height, and social status. Well, he probably wasn't short on age because he was the chief tax collector. You could be a tax collector and be young, but to be the chief tax collector, to be at the top of the pyramid, you probably had to be around for a while. So he probably wasn't short on age. Maybe he was short on height. We'll give him that one. Let's just say that he was a short guy. But if you think about it, if everyone hated him, isn't it safe to assume that he was almost certainly short on social status? He was despised. No one would want to be around this guy. And any friends that he may have had were other tax collectors that nobody else liked, or maybe rich people that he had a bribing relationship with. So he had all this wealth, but maybe Luke is starting to hint at the fact that there's more than meets the eye. There's more to this wee little man than we can see with our eyes. But either way, whether Zacchaeus was short in height or social status or both, if you pay attention to what happens next in the story, Luke shows us Zacchaeus was pretty desperate. He wanted some things in his life to change to the point that he was literally willing to go out on a limb to have an interaction with Jesus. He, he was just at a point where he thought something's got to change and I'm not really sure what to do. And look at what he does in verse four. So he hears that Jesus is coming. Look at verse four. He ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So there's two things that he did in that verse. He ran ahead of the crowd and he climbed up into a tree. Now that might not seem like a big deal for us. In fact, I was at a cross country meet yesterday for my son, and I ran all over the field to see my son at different spots. Not a big deal, right? Well, in first century Israel, that would have been a really big deal because they lived in an honor and shame culture. And every action that you did carried with it honor or shame. There's nothing in the middle. You either bring honor to yourself or shame to yourself. And no dignified man would run in public. You just wouldn't do it. That's something that a child would do. And you certainly wouldn't climb a tree. And so either one of those things would bring shame upon Zacchaeus. And here we find him doing both. So even though he has great wealth, it would appear that something's going on in his life that he knows, I, I, I cannot live like this any longer. I've heard stories about this man, Jesus. I just, all he wants to do is see him. So he takes off running and he climbs a tree. He brings shame upon himself. And then look at what happens next in verse five. When Jesus reached the spot, what spot? The spot where he could see Zacchaeus up in the tree. When, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, remember, this is an honor and shame culture. If you're Jesus, what would be the wisest thing that you could do to not bring shame on yourself? The wisest thing that you could do would be to avoid the fool up in the tree. You just ignore him. You don't talk to him. You just keep on moving. Well, what does Jesus do? He stops. He looks. He says his name. And he says, hey, I'd like to come to your house for dinner today. Now, one, one question you might have is, how did he know his name? Well, we don't know. Maybe God gave him that in the moment. We don't know this for sure. But one of Jesus's followers, Matthew, was a tax collector, he used to be a tax collector. And so there's a good chance that Jesus had seen them interacting before, but somehow he knew his name. He called to him. And in doing so, he returns the favor to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had shamed himself by running and climbing. Jesus returns the favor by shaming himself. It's like one giant 
shame fest. And you can almost feel the disciples getting real like, oh my gosh, what is he doing? Jesus, psst, that's the guy. You don't talk, like he's in a tree. Why are you talking to him? Let's get out of here. Let's keep moving. But he stops. Now, I want you to imagine you're Zacchaeus. You're up in a tree. You're wearing a robe, which I think is just really awkward. You're hanging on with one arm. You're trying to see Jesus. Everybody at the base hates you. They hate you. They're probably even saying things to you to ridicule you. And now the guy that everybody else has come to see has stopped and said, hey, I'd like to come to your house today. Come on down. Let's go have dinner together. Well, what would you do? Well, look at what Zacchaeus does. He hops down out of the tree. And in verse six, he says, he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now, it is hard for us to understand and fully appreciate how radical it would have been for Jesus to do this. I mean, it really is, guys. It's hard. This would be like a dignitary coming to Indianapolis and saying, you know, I think I'm just gonna stay in the local homeless shelter. I mean, it just, it doesn't even register for us. Not only does he say his name, he invites himself over for dinner. If Jesus was a politician, this is a political nightmare. This is, this is suicide. If Jesus was a politician, they would be making smear campaigns that says, Jesus stays at the house of a sinner, right? Like they would, this would be plastered everywhere for the next several months. This is not something that you would do. And it's hard for us to imagine, but we actually don't have to imagine a whole lot because look at what verse seven says. All the people, well, who are all the people? All the people lying in the street. All the people that Zacchaeus had robbed and mistreated. All the people standing at the base of the tree. All the people that were standing around saw this and they began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now, other translations, instead of using the word mother, some, mutter, some of them say grumble. Others say indignantly complained. But personally, the best one I found this week comes from the message that says this, everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Now, I want you to think about what's happening. Who did all the people come to see? Jesus. And in one act, he turns the whole crowd against him on behalf of Zacchaeus. And I wanna stop here for just a moment. And I'm gonna ask you a question and I just want you to agree to yourself to be very honest with this. If you had to pick a side right now, would you side with the crowd or would you side with Jesus? I mean, I know I'm supposed to side with Jesus, right? He's Jesus, he doesn't make mistakes, he doesn't sin. I'm supposed to side with Jesus. I'm gonna be honest with you. On Monday, when I was typing this out, I got to this part and I stopped and it really bothered me. I'm a husband, I'm a, I'm a father of four. I'm trying to provide for my family so we can get by. I don't like people getting rich off me, right? I'm just trying to, to get my family through life. And I'm telling you this very familiar story, it just stopped for me. And I thought, mm, man, Jesus, I gotta be honest. I kind of feel for the crowd. It just feels like you're, you're turning your nose up at him. Why are you doing that? And I'm telling you, I struggled with this for a couple of days because I knew what I was supposed to do, but I didn't want to do it. And I was out mowing the grass on Wednesday night in my backyard, and I was thinking about this question, and this is what came to my mind. I'm more concerned about things being fair and just and people getting what they deserve. That's what I'm more concerned about. But Jesus is more concerned about people being restored, renewed, being made whole, being brought back into 
community. And when that hit me while I'm mowing grass, I just had to sit and think about that. Like, man, I just, that just doesn't, okay, Jesus, you're gonna have to change my heart. And whether the crowd liked it or not, that's exactly what Jesus wanted to do for Zacchaeus in this moment. And so look at what happens next in verse eight. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord. Now, I just wanna stop here for a moment. It seems a little weird that Zacchaeus would stand up. We don't know how much time had elapsed after he came down out of the tree, but here's the thought. He came down, they go to his big fancy house for dinner, they eat nice fancy food, and at the end of the meal, after having a conversation with Jesus, however long that would have taken, he would stand up from the dinner table and he made this declaration. Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody, and you would laugh at that because of course he's cheated people, that's what he did. If I've cheated anybody, Out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And here's what's interesting. We don't know what they talked about at dinner. We have no clue what the conversation was about. But did you notice how Zacchaeus refers to Jesus? He doesn't say sir. He doesn't say Jesus. He uses the word Lord. And the Greek word for Lord here has lots of different meanings depending on how it's used. It's usually like a slave master relationship. But here's what's fascinating. In the New Testament, it's a title. Lord can be a title for God or a title for Jesus as the Messiah. And I think that's how Zacchaeus was using it. Look, Lord, here now I give half of my possessions away. Well, what was his big hangup? He was wealthy. He robbed people. I'm willing to give half of it away. And then he goes on to say, I'll give, I'll pay back four times anybody that I've cheated. And as I was reading this, I'm thinking, well, that's a really generous response from a guy who's basically stolen all this money. How do we know that this is legit? How do we know this was gonna last? And I think it's a good question, but apparently Jesus was convinced because look at his response in verse nine. Jesus said to him, today Zacchaeus realizes he's been a real jerk. Today Zacchaeus realizes he needs to repay a bunch of people. That's what you would expect him to say. What's he say? Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. And we have no idea what they talked about at dinner that night. But whatever they talked about, it struck Zacchaeus in such a way that he wanted everyone to know, I'm new, I'm different, I will never be the same. And his response was that he was willing to give away his fortune in order to follow Jesus. And it's very cool to think that Jesus was very quick to affirm that by saying today salvation has come to your house. Now, this is a fascinating story. You've probably like me, maybe you've read it a million times and you don't think anything about it. It's just packed with, there's so many more details I'd love to share with you, but we don't have time. But can I share with you my, my favorite detail from this whole story? Brad Gray points this out. It's fascinating. It's really rare for us to have someone's proper name in the New Testament. Most time people are referred to generally. But in this story, we learn that there was not just a tax collector, but that his name is Zacchaeus. We know both of those things about him. And here's why this is so important. Throughout scripture, names carried with them meaning. And get this, Zacchaeus's Hebrew name was based off a Hebrew word, Zakai, which means innocent, clean, and righteous. 
Now, when we first meet Zacchaeus, <laughs> he's not innocent, clean, or righteous. He's hated, he's despised, he's greedy, he's desperate, he's lost, he's lonely, and he's out on a limb. But after meeting Jesus, he's restored. He's innocent, he's clean, he's righteous. Not because of anything he had done, but because he realized Jesus is doing something for me. And here's what's fascinating. Jesus' Hebrew name, Yeshua, means the Lord's salvation. So the Lord's salvation had literally come to his house and then he received the Lord's salvation from Jesus. Think about this. Jesus was helping Zacchaeus understand that he was helping him become who God had created him to be, innocent, clean, and righteous. Now, I don't, I don't know about you. I will never read this story the same way again. It's not just about some rich guy that says, oh, I'm more than happy to be generous. It's about a wealthy man who was blinded by greed that comes in contact with Jesus and says, I don't wanna be the same. I want, I wanna be different. I wanna be new. Now, there's one more detail that's really important for us to look at. Remember how the whole thing started? It says in verse one, Jesus was passing through Jericho and we learned that he's going to Jerusalem. Well, here's what's interesting. They're only separated by 15 miles. It would be a day trip maybe. But if you keep reading, about four days after Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he was crucified and he died, meaning that about seven days before, he was having dinner with Zacchaeus. He, he was on a limited time frame when he sat having dinner with Zacchaeus in his house. And Jesus had told his disciples, when I go to Jerusalem, I'm telling you, I am going to die. He knew. He knew his time was limited, which I just keep coming back to this question. If you knew your time was limited, you had one week left and you're passing through town, would you stop and have dinner with a guy like Zacchaeus? Doesn't seem very wise. It kind of seems like a waste of time, but that's not at all how Jesus saw, us. In fact, saw it. In fact, look at verse 10. This is how the whole story ends with Jesus saying this. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now that's a powerful story. This man had blown up his life. He was hated and despised because of his job and because of his past. He was desperate. He went out on a limb to have an encounter with Jesus. And when he encountered Jesus, his life would never, ever, ever be the same. Now here's a question that I want all of you to think about. What does that have to do with me and with you? Why does any of that matter? Well, I think if there's anything that we can learn from Zacchaeus' story, it's that we've all got something in our life that we desperately wanna change. And we can try to change it on our own, but we can't buy it. We can't earn it. We can't throw around our influence to fix it. There's just only some problems in life that Jesus can fix. And so maybe we need to find ourselves in this story in one of two places. Are you part of the crowd or are you Zacchaeus? Because I found myself in the crowd this week. I was muttering, Jesus, how could you? Why would you? And I need to go out on a limb, and maybe you do too, and learn how to love people the way that Jesus does with no strings attached and not worry about what anybody would say to you or about you. That's powerful. And we see the power of that in this story. But my guess, my guess is that some of us in here are just like Zacchaeus. You've been chasing something. Money, wealth, power, prestige, a career. 
straight A's, whatever it is, you've been chasing it and it's leaving you empty and alone. And just like Zacchaeus, you have burned bridges with people around you and with God. And here's what's interesting. Just like Zacchaeus, you find yourself short on status with those people and with God. And you feel lost and you feel hopeless and you feel lonely. Well, if there's anything that we can learn from Zacchaeus' story, no one, no one can climb too high. No one can run too far for Jesus to say, hey, I'd like to come and hang out with you. And so if you find yourself there with Zacchaeus, maybe it's time for you to be vulnerable and to go out on a limb to have an interaction with Jesus. Because Jesus made it clear that he came to seek and to save the lost, no matter how lost you think you are, he would love nothing more than to step into your life and to declare, today, salvation has come to this house. He is just waiting on you to turn to him and say, I give up. I can't do this anymore. My way doesn't work. And I think just like Zacchaeus, you would find your life would be changed forever. You would never be the same. And whatever you're holding on to, you would willingly let go because the Lord's salvation has been presented to you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. I thank you for this very familiar story. I remember hearing this story when I was a kid. I remember reading this story to my kids. And it, it's always been about this short man with lots of money in a tree that gives it all away. I don't think that's the story. I think it's a story of a man who was blind and wanted to see, who was lost and wanted to be found. And Jesus, I still don't understand why you would turn all those people away from you, but it makes sense. He was the only one. Zacchaeus was the only one that was honest enough to say, I have blown it up. I've messed it up. I need whatever he has. I wanna pray, Father, for every one of us, would you help us to go out on a limb, to have an interaction with you to change our life? If we've been following you for a while, would you, help, would you change our hearts to love people the way that you did Jesus? But Father, I wanna pray specifically today for anyone that's here that's been sitting on the fence with Jesus for a long time. And they're trying so hard to figure life out on their own. Holy Spirit, would you move and would you do what only you could do? Would you speak to their heart? Would you draw them out of their seat to have a conversation with somebody to respond to Jesus? That they would know that salvation has come to their house through Jesus, through what he's done for us. We love you. We praise you. We ask that you would do what only you could do. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we've been in this series called From Here to There. And what's interesting about that is that's all of our story. We find ourselves in a place that's here where we have done something to damage our relationship with God. We've rebelled through greed, pride, sin, lust, you name it, any sin puts us over here and God's over there. We would desperately like to be over there with God, but deep down, every one of us knows all my money, all my works, everything that I do isn't enough. And Jesus knew that. That's why Jesus came. Jesus entered into our world to say, I know that you're here. He came here in our mess and said, let me show you how to live. Let me show you how to follow my heavenly father. But then he made a really bold and even ridiculous claim. He said, I would love for you to go there with my heavenly father, but there's just one thing you need to know. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. 
nobody can get there without coming through me. And I think that's what Zacchaeus experienced. And if you've never experienced that, I don't know what you're waiting for. I don't know what you're holding on to. I don't know what's holding you back. But Jesus says, come to me. Salvation can come to your house. And responding to Jesus is real simple. You just admit, I'm a, sin- I'm a sinner. I've messed up. My way doesn't work. And then you respond by being baptized into Christ. It represents your death and burial to sin and a resurrection to new life. That's what we see in Zacchaeus's life. We're gonna celebrate baptisms next Sunday at our 15-year celebration. If you are not following Jesus or if you've never made the decision to be baptized, what are you waiting for? Is there a better offer on the table? If you are curious about what it means to follow Jesus or if you have questions about why you would be baptized in response to him, would you please find me or Steve or the person that you came with, but don't leave here today without making that decision to know that you are secure in Christ. Jesus claimed, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And right now we are gonna sing a song that declares that very truth. Would you stand and worship with us?